2: Hey guys, and welcome to Paranormal Thoughts Podcast, and as always, thanks for joining me. In this episode, I'm talking about mysterious disappearances in America's national parks. This is something that I've been aware of for a little while now, and every time it comes up on Reddit or a YouTube video or something in my sort of research, it always gets me really excited, and it's just something I always want to know more about been reading and listening to a lot of accounts of these mysterious disappearances. And it's gotten me to the point now where I want to talk about it a little bit as well and kind of give my thoughts because there's the cases themselves, but then there's not really an answer to what happens necessarily. So I think there's some interesting points to kind of add when you look at all these cases to sort of figure out what could have happened and what is still Happening now. So, some of you might be thinking, what's mysterious about these disappearances that happen? Well, a lot of the time, it happens right under people's noses. A lot of these cases involve young children, people with disabilities, and of course, just completely healthy adults as well. But it's odd how many of the cases are actually children uh, and children with disabilities as well. Often, people will be in a group and then one person suddenly just vanishes. You know, someone might turn their back for a couple seconds. Look behind them, gone. You know, and a lot of these people who do go missing as well aren't necessarily new to being out in the wilderness as well. So, what is strange as well is that it's quite difficult to find a lot of these people. There's procedures set in place for when people go missing, when sending out a search party with rangers and civilians and things. But and often when people do go missing, uh, they're found. You know, thousands of people go missing in the states each year, and majority of them are found in these cluster of cases. Not so much, so they'll bring in sniffer dogs and these dogs can't pick up on the scent or don't even want to look. Bad weather is also quite connected to these cases. A lot of the time these people go missing and then a storm rolls over, which makes it extremely difficult for the search to continue. It's interesting how much that actually happens too. It happens enough, I think, that there is some sort of connection there within these cases. And the biggest thing, too, is that when these people are found, either alive or dead, that they have ended up far greater distances than where they went missing, or even the complete opposite, where they're actually found where they've, been, where they've been looking. People who are often found alive as well, this is what's interesting, are usually children who are too young to tell you exactly what happened, or people, once again, with some sort of disability where they can't really explain in some sort of capacity what had happened to them. Or even sometimes people just don't remember. They're just hazy and don't remember where the last two days went. There's enough of these cases, I believe, that there is something, I think, going on here that we don't quite know about. So the reason I'm also really interested currently in, this, in these disappearances in American national parks is that I'm actually travelling to America at the end of this year. So this is my first time going to the States and I'm really excited. Most of my listeners for this podcast are actually in the States, which is insane. It makes sense, I suppose, because of the, um, you know, the population size compared to, you know, here in my country of Australia. It's just, it's massive. In December, I'm heading to California, doing a bit of a trip down to San Diego, Phoenix, Grand Canyon, Vegas, and San Francisco. And when I'm in San Fran, I'm definitely going to head up to Yosemite and check out the uh, national park there. And a lot of these cases, you know, um, that you can look into, people have disappeared um, under strange circumstances in Yosemite National Park. That also definitely heightened my interest in the past few weeks or so just because I'm actually going to get to go to these places now. You know, it's not so much a... um, It's not these words on paper or on a screen necessarily. It's actually something I can go and experience. So, of course, I can't really go any further without mentioning David Politis. He's an author. He's a retired police officer now. He has written books about mysterious disappearances within American national parks. And it goes a lot deeper than that as well when you actually start to look into what kind of goes on. And it gets almost a little bit conspiracyist, which is pretty, you know... From an outside point of view, you wouldn't think anything more of, you know, these people get lost, they fall down a cliff, they get attacked by some sort of animal, you know, um, that there wouldn't be any sort of strange conspiracy type happenings within this topic. But it depends how you want to look at it. One thing I want to mention, so when David Pilatus goes into his research, there's obviously his book Missing 411. There's obviously 411 cases that he looks at in that book. And to get some of the files on those cases has proven to be actually really difficult for him. And this is where it gets a little bit interesting when I'm talking about the whole conspiracy thing, because you would think that these missing people reports would be on public record. You know, you're a author, a journalist per se, and you're writing about these cases. So, you know, that's open to public knowledge, especially when some of these cases are, you know, 50 years old, Freedom of Information Act and everything like that, you can apply to actually get this information so you can write your book about it. But that actually proved to be quite difficult for David Pilatus. So the NPS and the FBI actually refused to disclose some of this information for at least several cases. So when Pilatus asked for some cases on people who had gone missing in Yosemite, he was told that there were no records to begin with, which is odd because you would think if people go missing your job as a park ranger would be to document that, to have that on record, of course, because, you know, if someone goes missing, uh, you have to have some sort of documentation on that. There'd be some sort of archive for all these documents. But at first he was told there was no archives, there was no reports on, the, on some of these cases of people going missing in Yosemite. And then he was told he would have to pay $34,000 in order to get them. So one minute he's told they don't exist, and in the next minute they're hitting him up for thirty four grand. Which is a pretty significant amount of money, and I'm not sure if he's planning on going through that still to this day. Depending, I suppose, on how much money, how much profit he can actually make from his work. So, if he wanted all of the records for the national parks, he'd have to pay 1.4 million, which you know would be quite a big crowdfunding campaign if you were to go down that route. Which is just ridiculous. It just goes to show there's something a little bit odd at work here. And obviously the money is the thing to deter him. You know, it's not necessarily, this is how much it's worth. It's just, you know, make him look somewhere else or just drop it all together. of course. It obviously goes to show that there's something not quite right going on here within these cases because, as I said, if it was just passed off as, you know, people going missing, so on and so forth, it wouldn't be so secretive. So definitely go check out some of David Politis' work. And there's a bunch of other authors who write about similar topics uh, all around the world as well. So I just want to look at a couple of cases that kind of took my interest. And in, as I said, there's hundreds of these. So the first case I want to look at happened at the Grand Canyon. As I mentioned, I'm actually traveling to the Grand Canyon later on this year, so it's really relevant to me at the moment, so it kind of took my interest. So this case was in 1928, Bessie and Glen Hyde. So Bessie and Glen Hyde were honeymooning in the northern part of Arizona, and they were traveling by boat down the Colorado River, and their plan was to boat through the Grand Canyon. And this is an interesting little bit of information too, that Bessie would have been the first woman to have ever done that. So, Glenn had actually had some experience with scow boats. Uh, Anyone who doesn't know, because I didn't actually know, it's a wide-beamed sailing dinghy, pretty much. Didn't know that, so that's what a scow is. Glenn had had some experience with scowing, but Bessie was new to it. So, obviously, they didn't finish their trip and they went missing. And then a few months after, the boat was actually discovered and it didn't really seem disturbed at all. All their supplies were in there. It was upright. So they obviously had him capsized and couldn't get back in the boat or anything like that. It was literally that they had just disappeared. And still to this day, no one actually knows what happened to them, whether they got out of the boat and hiked somewhere, got lost, potentially could have been abducted, not necessarily by anything extraterrestrial, but, you know, even just, of course that could be, you know, an option, but um, more so just by other people, but their boat looked undisturbed and they just were gone. So that's a pretty simple kind of disappearance case, and that's what a lot of them are like. But then some have a little bit more of a sinister background as well. This next case was in 1992. Kenny Miller was a 12-year-old boy who went missing in Yosemite National Park. It's worth mentioning too that Kenny had a disability where he had the mental capacity of a four-year-old. Kenny was out on a hiking trip with his parents, and his parents' turned the back on him for a couple minutes while he was throwing pebbles into a lake. And when the parents came back, he just had vanished. And they just had no trace of him whatsoever where he would have gone. And it took them a month to locate him. So a whole month of looking. And they actually found him on a cliff 1,500 feet above where he went missing. This is where it gets really strange because how does a boy, a 12-year-old boy with a mental capacity of a four-year-old, managed to get himself up this sheer cliff, really rocky terrain, vertically 1,500 feet in the air, where even the search and rescue personnel struggled to get to him to uh, retrieve his body. And this falls into, as I said earlier, that perfect category of how did this person vanish and then get to where they've ended up. This is the case of Dennis Martin. And this case dates back to the 60s. This case has some very interesting points in it, goes far, far further than just the actual details that I'll just explain to you in just a moment, that even to this day, I think more things are kind of being uncovered and looked into because things about this don't add up. So Dennis Martin was a six-year-old boy and it was a Father's Day weekend and he was out in the Smoky Mountains with his brothers and his father and grandfather. So they're having a bit of a boys boys' weekend. And the boys decided to pull a bit of a prank on the, on the dad and the grandfather and they wanted to give them a bit of a spook. So they set off into the shrubbery a little bit and decided they're going to jump out and surprise them. Dennis had a bright red shirt on, so his brothers told him to go the opposite direction where I think he would be more so coming around the back of his father and grandfather so they couldn't spot his bright red shirt and kind of ruin the prank. Him being the youngest too, by the way, so they set him off by himself, but it obviously, they weren't really going, they were just kind of going around the perimeter of the campsite, so you couldn't get lost, you know, follow the perimeter around. You could probably, I'm sure he could have actually even seen his father and grandfather that whole time, but the brothers jump out, scare the father and the grandfather, and then their father asks, where's Dennis? And the brothers just thought, oh, you know, it might have just taken him a little bit longer to walk around. He probably didn't get the queue right. Uh, and then they wait and he wasn't there. So then the father and grandfather head off to try to look for him and nothing. Calling out to him, no response. So then they got the rangers involved. And then this search could last for as long as they had daylight pretty much. And around that sort of time, really bad weather set in. So rain, it was a bit of a thunderstorm really. So it made obviously looking a lot harder. And when they brought sniffer dogs in because of that rain, it makes tracking someone a lot more difficult. But regardless of that, sniffer dogs are extremely good at what they do at finding people and they live for it. You know, they really do enjoy the reward of finding people. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
0: When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination,
2: yahoofinance.com. But when they would bring dogs into this case, often the dogs didn't want to look. So that's a little bit of a strange thing right off the bat there. So there was another family camping a little bit further away, the Keys, and they reported that they heard some sort of scream and they actually saw a figure running across the mountain. And one of the family members pointed and said, I think that's a bear. But then the father of the family said, no, I think that's actually a person, but it was kind of not human enough i think from what i've gathered it didn't sound like a definite like that's a person you know by the way it was running and apparently whatever this creature or man was it looked like it had something slung over its shoulder and that could have been dennis potentially and when they told authorities about this they worked out that oh no couldn't have been Dennis, like it was too far from that initial point to have gotten that to gotten there in a few hours or what have you. But it actually it turns out that um, because Dennis was never found, his father never really gave up hope. So he did a lot more uh, investigating and figured out that they could have actually gotten to that point in that amount of time, like to the point where it would have been perfect for whatever this creature was to be running through that destination at that time. But regardless, it was just thrown out that it wasn't a useful piece of information. And it's worth saying as well, after they heard a scream, uh, they didn't know someone was missing at this point of time either. So, um, you know, I don't know about you, but if I was out in the middle of nowhere hearing screams, you know, like, I guess, yeah, I guess you would probably try to help. But at the same time, you know, you'd be a bit weary of it wouldn't you but so days following the the search and rescue became a little bit more increased so they had hundreds of people scouring the area so you know they had park rangers locals volunteers and then the fbi the national guard and even the special forces got involved as well there's some interesting points about special forces i'll get to in just a second but regardless you have a lot of people looking into this case like an extreme amount But of course, with the bad weather they were having, there was heavy rains, flooding, and even fog, made it really difficult to find this boy. And there wasn't really any leads. They found some bits and pieces, but then they were determined not to be related to Dennis Martin. And unfortunately, he was just never found. Somehow, from him going just down this path a little bit, uh, not far from the campsite whatsoever, within, you know, probably not even a minute, it would have taken them to walk around and jump out, he just vanished. And I found a report from someone in the special forces who comments on how strange it would have been for special forces to actually get involved in this missing persons case because they don't deal with civilian cases. So even this person is saying this is a very strange scenario for these special forces to be looking for a six-year-old boy. And the fact that they were involved, they still can get a trace of this boy is extremely unusual because these people, that's their literal job is to find anything that they need to out in the wilderness. And two, terrain probably a lot harder than, you know, maybe some flooding in a national park. It's very odd. So why was there so much interest in finding this boy? Apparently the special forces weren't really communicating well with the other authorities, park rangers, volunteers, and so on. It seemed as if they had their own reason for being there where it might have been a little bit more than just finding this missing child because they just were being really secretive about their knowledge of what was going on when everyone's there for the exact same reason to figure out where this kid is and whether or not he's alive. Really strange stuff really, it it is really bizarre how people can literally just disappear. It's worth mentioning too, even though Dennis was a six-year-old boy, he was no stranger to the wilderness. As I'm sure, you know, most kids who grow up within a certain environment, it's just second nature to them. They're just really used to it. So they feel like he could have actually had a little bit of survival skill to stay alive for a few days and, you know, to actually probably be trying to, you know, find his way back as well, you know, or being responsive. But no trace was just ever found of him. So what do I think? You know, why is there all these weird, why is it all these weird points that kind of seem to evolve around this topic, you know, like the bad weather, which comes up a lot. The whole thing with the search dogs as well, you know, the sniffer dogs, not wanting to go after that scent or just losing scent altogether of these people. So there, there are a few things that sort of tie all this together and David Pilatus tries to, put this into, you know, almost like a barrel and be like, this This is all connected. And sure, it could be, but it's that widespread though, you know, if it was like people abducting people and killing them, it's so widespread and so pinpointed, you know, like you would have to literally wait for that little boy to be out of sight for, you know, 30 seconds and then grab him. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense, you know, it's not that logical. Sure, it's easy to say, it must be like, just people being abducted. But they're not walking down a street at night. It's They're in the woods. It's extremely difficult to pull something off like that. There's theories too about uh, wild-type humans living in the mountains, kind of like a hills have eyes theory, which is fucking terrifying if it was anything like that. But once again, I don't think that could be nationwide either. Sure, there might be some, you know... Sort of civilization who want to kill people and things, but still, I feel like you know there might. It's pretty hard to keep that quiet, but you know, and there's theories too that maybe even the park rangers are in on it. Who knows? It's it's pretty bizarre, you know, and it is hard to sort of put your thought on it. I've even read about people thinking it might be connected to Bigfoot. I, I don't know about that. Regardless, if it had something to do with a Bigfoot, I feel like there would still be more trace. Even just left from the Bigfoot, you know, such as footprints, um, of course, because they're quite heavy and large, their footprints are going to be far deeper in the ground, you know, so even with rain, going to be harder to wash away. Or hair, follicles, of course. Um, I'm sure some of these cases that we can look at, they do have rational explanations, you know, of bears and such, but definitely some of them, um, when they have these similarities, it does... Open it up to there seems to be something a little bit more going on. But my opinion on it is I don't know, there's definitely something odd. And I think that's the thing too. Like, there are definitely things in this world that happen that we can't explain, at least not yet, whether or not we'll ever be able to. But I think it does take a little bit of an open mind to look into this and kind of be, you know, to kind of understand that, yeah, people go missing and sometimes it's not as simple as what we kind of know it to be crazy stuff though it's fascinating though regardless it's it's pretty spooky spooky stuff really interesting and I definitely recommend doing some reading because you know just the thought of getting lost for me not knowing what the fuck to do is terrifying you know and it, it kind of keeps me out of you know camping in the middle of nowhere because yeah you're just you're out there and you're vulnerable and who knows thank you guys I think I'm going to leave it there for this one definitely do some research i'll leave some links below where you can kind of go and check out some bits and pieces it's definitely worthwhile because there's a ton of information but i want to know you know if you have any stories if you've heard anything that's pretty interesting that's relating to this let me know my email is podcast at gmail.com really appreciate you if you made it this far feel free to check out any other episodes putting out new episodes every fortnight or so Let me know if you want to hear anything. Always up for recommendations. You know, love hearing. Just love hearing from people about um, the paranormal. You know, it's great. Thanks, guys. I'll catch you in another episode soon. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?